education and awareness. It's cliche, but it does make a difference. I have talked to, had many one-on-one conversations with people who maybe didn't think bikes pay their fair share for using the roads, but property tax is a big funder and we all tend to pay a property tax, whether you rent or own. Maybe they didn't understand that a roundabout is different than a rotary in Boston or New Jersey. So a one-on-one conversation can, can change that. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. It is June, and life is starting to approach normal again. People are out and about, and one thing I've definitely noticed is the traffic. Lots of people and lots of cars. This is a challenge for Missoula and many other communities in Montana. Fortunately, we've got some good people and organizations working on the problem. I'm joined today by Gene Schmitz and Bob Giordano. Gene is a cycling enthusiast and a member of the Missoula Cycling and Pedestrian Advisory Board. Bob Giordano is the founder and executive director of Free Cycles, a nonprofit organization trying to create more sustainable transportation systems in western Montana. Gene, Bob, thanks for being here today. You're more than welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. So let's start with just a little bit of kind of your potted bios. Gene, we'll start with you. I mean, how did you become such a advocate and a passionate cyclist? Some of my first riding was in Chicago and northern Illinois. So doing a lot of road riding, a lot of century rides. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really enjoyed it. It was great exercise. and um, But, you know, I, I would hear about every once in a while, great while I'd hear about, you know, people getting hit or whatever. And sometimes on the little rural two-lane roads, just like here in Montana, people would be going a little faster than you like and come a little closer than you like. So I, you know, started getting concerned with um, with safety issues. And um, then as I started um, getting to places in Chicago with American Youth Hostels um, and things like that, I... Uh, started talking about some of these things and found some of the organizations like League of American Bicyclists. So just from talking to people and just the general interest in safety anyhow, my background is in engineering, so um, I worked a lot in terms of uh, cost benefit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's benefits to biking, but there can be, um, you know, cost to risks. And uh, so I was interested in always in trying to keep risk down. Indeed. Bob, how about you? How did cycling kind of enter your life? Well, my dad let go of the banana seat when I was probably four <laughs> years old, and I thought he was still holding on, and lo and behold, I'm riding a bike without training wheels. Very good. Haven't looked back. Um, I became passionate about biking after starting Free Cycles Missoula local community bike shop. I grew up in Virginia, had a business degree from North Carolina State, and decided I'd did not want to sit in a cubicle with a coat and tie and mm-hmm. commute um, by car every day. So I came out west, fell in love with the west, fell in love with a woman, fell in love with the rivers, the mountains, and my roots have grown in here, and I want to change the world. I believe we all change the world every breath we take, and we have ripple impacts. And I have 
sort of found my niche with free cycles and MIST, Missoula Institute for Sustainable Transportation. So we're advocating, we're pushing, we're pulling, whispering, screaming, trying to move Missoula into a new realm where healthy transportation is normal. And uh, I, I just enjoy it. I enjoy teaching people how to fix bikes, but I also, like Gene, am thinking a lot about safety and how can we move around without, without getting hurt. And uh, really the opposite with having joy as we do our commutes. Sure. Well, let's talk. You, you mentioned free cycle and mist. We'll come to those in a moment, Bob. But Gene, let's talk a little bit about the um, Cycling and Pedestrian Advisory Board, the Missoula Cycling and Pedestrian Advisory Board. What is that organization? What, you're, you're a board member. You know, what, what do you all do? Well, as an advisory board, as the name states, we have literally no power. We cannot institute any policy changes, but we advise the powers that be uh, that do. Often it's the city council, uh, public works, as they work on streets and say, you know, can we you know, do a bike lane here? Is there some way of changing the traffic signal here for making it easier for pedestrians to cross, put out some of the what they call pork chops or, or bulb outs? where pedestrian crossing, instead of being hidden by a parked car, mm-hmm. um, they're more visible to motorists and they have a shorter crossing distance. So, you know, we advise uh, in the main part on infrastructure things, but there's also um, educational aspects that we sometimes push for. Uh, sometimes we deal with the police department a little bit in terms of, you know, can you keep an eye out for motorists that are being a little bit less attentive to pedestrians trying to get across, uh, especially you know, if they're disabled or whatever. People just kind of go right by. Right. So we just kind of try to be a little bit of a, again what Bob was saying, kind of whispering and shouting <laughs> in the ears of uh, of the people. And some it's a long haul sometimes. I mean, there's some projects and some aspects to things that you say, you know, gee, if you if you uh, if you get this done in a five to eight year span, you're doing good. Um, it's a little bit difficult. For some of the new board members that um, come on and think changes are going to happen fast, and they can kind of get bogged down a little bit in the fact that, you know, this is kind of a, a marathon, not a sprint. So we do get a little bit of turnover. I think we have actually one one opening now. There's nine members on the board. And you're appointed by city council or the mayor? Uh, yeah, through the mayor's office. Yeah, we're empowered, uh, or we're empowered by um, city council. Bob, tell us about free cycles. I mean, you described it as a community bike shop, but it feels like you do so much more than that. Um, yeah, tell us about free cycles. Well, we do like to say that we're a community center, not just a community bike shop. I just left a busy shop. That's why I was a little late for the podcast. We have a bunch of people right now building free bicycles. We have kids with tools in their hands working on bikes. Uh, people are scrounging and harvesting in the bicycle forest for parts. Um, we do have a sale shop. We have a parts room. We have seven seasonal staff we just hired, and we're all working outside after a year of a pandemic. So there's a lot of change, and it can be overwhelming, but we've been preparing. We've been doing a lot of readying this ship, as I've been saying, and we have a crew, and we're going to stay floating, and we're going on an adventure. And that adventure is this summer especially. We want to get as many bikes out to people as possible. And it's not just handing them a bike. They do some volunteer time, and they build that bike uh, themselves. We teach, we teach, we teach. And getting tools in kids' hands is a, is a special thing to us. 
we have so many parents saying, thank goodness my young one is not sitting in front of a video screen right now. And that's one of my largest worries is kids being isolated and too much of technology. A bike is technology, but at least you're, you're getting some exercise there. So it is more than, um, more than just the bike. It's people coming together and helping each other out. When I started this program in 1996, the main mantra was environmentalism, but now it is balanced by social and community. And it's not something I ever really learned about except for doing. So I love the community aspect of people working together for a general common goal. And why do you think bicycles and cycling are such a great substrate for building that community? Well, sometimes I joke and say, well, we're not a, we're not a toaster community shop or a bicycle community shop. Um, now everyone fixing toasters or coffee grinders together could be empowering or engaging, but a bike does represent freedom for a lot of people, especially Mm -hmm. young ones and to get exercise and to not have to buy a parking pass and repair a muffler and heat shields and on and on and on. So I don't typically talk too much about the downsides of car culture, but let's face it. There's climate change, there's car crashes, there's pavement, there's asbestos coming off your brake pads. Yep. We, could, we could do a whole podcast on the downside of car culture of too much dependence on cars. So I learned early on not to say only no to something, but try to have a yes to something. And people building bikes together is, is a pretty darn good yes. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So let's, let's dig into the state of play here in Western Montana and Missoula in particular, you know, Gene, I don't know how many years you've served on the advisory board, but yeah, well, how would you describe the state of affairs with regard to um, sustainable transportation here in Missoula? Well, Missoula has always been a, uh, well, first of all, I've been on the board for about three and a half going on four years. Okay. And then got back on again. Missoula has always been a really strong bicycling town. It was back in 1976 when I first came through here on a coast-to-coast uh, bike tour with Bike Centennial, which has their headquarters here. They're now adventure cycling. Mm-hmm. And so people, again, they uh, I think they a lot of them, not all, like to get out of their cars. Uh, you know, summertime, spring, autumn, the air is beautiful, nice and dry when it's not smoky. So, you know, people like to be outdoors. People like to, you know, do these kinds of things. So I think that's always why it's been big biking. And now we've got uh, people on powered scooters. We've got the little uniboards with their fat tires. They look like something that came off of a Mars lander. Indeed. And right now, the uh, if you compare the e-bike sales, um, I don't know about here, but nationally, uh, they've gone up like, you know, 800% over two years ago. It's like right now, a couple of years ago, it was like maybe, and partly because of price, and that's come down. You know, e-bikes now uh, maybe used to be like, you know, one out of every hundred bikes sold and just throwing a number out there. And now it's probably closer to one out of every eight or every 10 bikes that's sold, especially when you get into the higher dollar, um, you know, range, you know, the four figures or so. So there's that too. So now we've got, um, if you've got a, a more of a, e-bike load, if you will. Uh, they're sort of like scooters in some ways. They'll go 20 miles an hour. Uh, some of them will go 28. Uh, in most cases, the bike lane use is limited to the, I think it's called class two, don't quote me, uh, where you can only go 
20 mm-hmm. with a pedal assist, and then it, your power cuts out. And they're heavier, so it's really much, quite a bit harder to go faster than that just with your pedals. And then the other ones, uh, the Class 3, I think they are, go, will go 28 with a throttle. So you're really like into scooter range. So now we've got the issue, and Bike Board's trying to consider this. So we, we looked at it a couple of years ago, right before uh, COVID, about, well, what about riding on sidewalks? Right now it's legal to ride bikes on sidewalks. Downtown communities put up signs, no bicycling on sidewalks. It's kind of 50-50 in terms of how people look at it. And I think Bob would agree that because of the lack of, either lack of bike lanes or so-called protected bike lanes, people will not use the streets. They won't use Broadway. They won't use Higgins. They'll say, I'm going to, especially if it's, you know, the fairly short, even down along Broadway, we've got sidewalks that really aren't used by people. You know, when you start going uh, west of the hospital, especially, mm-hmm. you know. And so people are going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ride on the sidewalk. So it's hard to say, don't do that. But the, statistically, sidewalks are one of the most dangerous places to ride, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that brings up a lot of interesting questions about infrastructure and how you design, you know, a municipal environment for safe, regular cycling. You know, Bob, what do you think of Missoula in, in that sense? Like, how are we set up from an in- infrastructure standpoint? Or, and are we making the right investments? I think we're on a good path. Okay. If you compare us to most no of... No pun intended. Yes. Yeah, well done. <laughs> it was intended. If you compare Missoula to most American cities, almost everyone, we're, we're leaps and bounds okay. ahead. You, people say it all the time. Wow, I just got here. I'm visiting. Missoula is full of bikes. It's safe and comfortable now compare it to copenhagen amsterdam berlin small villages in northern europe sweden malmo i've traveled all those places while i was in graduate school here to see how is urban design done in other places that mm-hmm. were built before the car and it's incredible you don't need a car to have freedom unlike america without a car you can feel pretty darn isolated one reason i let my roots sink down here in missoula sold my car old baldo 25 years ago and have not needed it. My wife, I'm back. My, my wife has a car. I don't like riding in it and I will, I'll, I'll go with her to the store occasionally or to Helena to visit family. Uh, I prefer to bike everywhere. Uh, take the bus. Now we have some energy behind getting Amtrak or passenger rail through mm-hmm. the area and we need safer bikeways, uh, path. You should be able to get on a bike and go to Glacier Park and feel safe. I've done that a few times and there are sections that you can Die pretty, yeah, that's pretty, pretty horrendous. There's some sections that are tough there. Probably shouldn't do it anymore. But adventure calls and mm-hmm. uh, exercise calls and my passion for a clean, healthy environment calls. So I will take some risk, um, calculated risk. I think we're on the verge in Missoula. I think we could sprawl and become a place that no one wants, no one recognizes. No one wants to be here. Or we could, we could have village feel, almost an ecotopia. We have the bones in place, it feels like, in this valley to do some right things. And with this growth that, that's coming into the western Montana, we've always had growth. But now it seems, um, seems more intense. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's incumbent upon everyone to think about it, to act, to really, really buckle down and say, what, you know, what is life all about? What, what, is, what is my commute all about? Am I happy commuting 20 minutes by car to a job? If not, don't do it. Quit tomorrow. Hop on a bike. 
walk, change something. And I'm excited for the future of Missoula, but I think it's going to take concerted effort by politicians, by citizens, by media to um, ask the right questions and explore our future. Yeah, what do those efforts look like? Like, what what decisions do you think we need to make, or you know, things we need to build or invest in to make cycling the choice that people want to make, rather than the one that they sort of, you know, resign themselves to make? I think one of the things in the short term, and I don't know if Bob would agree, if Bob would agree with me or not on that, is that the some of the infrastructure things we tend to talk about, the protected bike lanes and and the protected intersections where you have a um, uh, cuts down or reduces the risk of the typical uh, right hook situation where a car making a right turn will cut off a bike. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an awful lot of intersections in this town. (laughs) There are. (laughs) Tens of thousands probably. Um, There's a few that are, are downtown and signalized. And, you know, there's some other ones where we can do a number of things. But, Infrastructure is expensive. It's it's hard fought for, as Bob knows. And I think as we're doing that, even as we go into that better place, that I think we need to make it apparent to the bicycling public and the public at large that bicyclists have a right to the road. Yeah. Bob, your thoughts on, on infrastructure and decisions this community can make to, to move it in the direction you want to see it move? Well, I think policy is is huge and, and as simple as how do we redesign a street. It's also how do we uh, have our built environment? What kind of mixed use? Is it housing that people are happy in? Uh, don't like skyscrapers and thinking of downtown Missoula like Bangkok or New York City. It can get a little more dense and still, uh, or perhaps a lot more dense and still be a place that we all enjoy. I don't want to see giant shadows and wind tunnels and um, too much glass. So I think we can have this this Montana um, that has a a charm and an old world feel, but we still use modern tools. And I think that's that's uh, a challenge. Policy doesn't just happen. There needs to be people advocating, whether it's the bike ped board, everyday citizens calling up a council member, or uh, advocacy organizations. So we do this a lot. We look for the right time. And if you have to shout, you've, you've done maybe something not quite right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little too late. Uh, so education and awareness. It's cliche, but it does make a difference. I have talked to, had many one-on-one conversations with people who maybe didn't think bikes pay their f- fair share for using the roads. But property tax is a big funder, and we all tend to pay a property tax, whether you rent or own. Maybe they didn't understand that a roundabout is different than a rotary in Boston or New Jersey. So a one-on-one conversation can, can change that. Maybe they didn't understand that fewer lanes for cars can actually be more efficient for driving. And you also get walking and biking and transit benefits. So I do think Missoula is in a unique, unique place where we matter on the world map, but you can still go meet with the mayor, your city council, find the movers and shakers, become a mover and shaker, and make a difference. I want to talk about sort of motorist-cyclist conflict. Mm. And, and I think, like, my, my assumption is that a lot of the listening population here are pretty into biking, I guess. Um, so you have a favorable audience here. Yet, when, you know, when I think of, you know, folks that I ride with, there's a distribution of behaviors, and I think some of those behaviors are, are things that motorists sort of 
either ignore or appreciate or get antagonized by. And so, you know, thinking about that, like, so if you're speaking to the cycling community, what are some things we can do to kind of be thought of more positively in the eyes of, of people that maybe don't ride bikes as, uh, as, as, as enthusiastically? Yeah, I, uh, I write a column in the Missoulian once a month, and I've used the term the squirrel brain mm-hmm. bicyclists. You know, the, the ones that are riding on the sidewalk one minute, and then they kind of swoop into the All street. All over the place, yeah. Unannounced, they're coming out of an alley. And, and it's just a matter of, again, trying to uh, educate and have them understand that they're going to, first of all, be safer, and secondly, catch a lot less flack of honking and screaming and zooming by. And um, if they ride in a way that's predictable. And I've also uh, used the term that the bicyclists, whether they're on a, on a street that has a bike lane or one that doesn't, is it's important to be not only visible. I mean, I'm a fan of, you know, I don't, I don't think you should have to change out of a plaid shirt to feel safe when you go for a bike ride. But it's not a bad idea to have something bright on mm-hmm. to make you stand out. On the other hand, when a bike is over towards the curb, First of all, they're they're going through a lot of crud, unfortunately. Sometimes, although we do a good, they do a good job. I must say, uh, public works uh, street cleaning, we we do a good job on that for a number of reasons. Uh, it's a pretty high priority. So, but you're over there, and you kind of on a bike, you kind of blend into the background a little bit. Uh, you tend to be less relevant because the motorists are, are typically, you know, they're kind of in a fog. Unfortunately, they can be daydreaming, texting, stuff is on their mind. They look and see, I've got a clear lane in front of me, and all the other stuff around them fades a little bit mentally, at least, into the background. So my personal way I bike on a lot of streets is I make myself relevant by uh, being out from the bike lane. And I have a rearview mirror, so I can see that somebody coming up behind me in a car or a truck can see me and that they've slowed down. And then if I have some space, there's no parked cars anymore, uh, I'll move over to the right and kind of wave them by, give them a little, hey, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be here I'm, because it's a safe place for me because over there puts me out of view, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's one of the things to do. But the, the whole issue of the, the the people who ride without lights at night, top three riding without lights at night, and the city's doing a pretty good job of trying to get uh, lights. And Bobby, you may have some that you hand out at Free Cycles too for people who ride at night for usually for out of necessity, usually not that much for fun. Um, so there's the working, that's working class bike riders, obviously. Uh, so you've got that. You've got the people who salmon, who ride against traffic because their mom always said, you know, make sure you can see the cars so you can get out of their way. Uh, and then you got the people who ride on, on the sidewalk. And statistically, those are the three most dangerous ways of riding. But people on sidewalks, they feel safer. But you can't fight fear or feelings with facts, statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we try to, I try to get through to people and say, you know, you want to be predictable. You want to be courteous. You want to be communicating using hand signals, making eye contact. Um, but, you know, you need to, um, you know, use the infrastructure that's there, but still be aware that even with infrastructure, there's going to be weak links in the chain, as it were. And you need to understand these sort of places of conflict, potential conflict, 
and kind of use a little extra precautions when you get to those places in the infrastructure or the road. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. This is Sam Schultz, and you're listening to A New Angle. That makes a ton of sense. And, and Bob, you mentioned at the head of the show, like your, your organization, you know, not only makes cycling more accessible, but also embraces the educational mission. You know, how does some of what Gene just talked about re- manifest in your organization when you're trying to get people, bring people into the cycling family? Well, Gene and I have had uh, several conversations. Uh, I think the last one was maybe two months ago out by the grizzly bear on campus. We just sat and talked for about an hour. Um, because it does feel like Missoula is making decisions now that will determine uh, the healthiness of our future. Mm-hmm. And one thing Gene and I do debate is the idea of regular bike lanes versus no bike lane versus protected bike lane, otherwise known as a cycle track, and that's the Northern European model. Um, so we, there, there are pros and cons to, to infrastructure. Can you define those three different things so people understand what the distinctions are? Yeah, so um, the hip strip in Higgins right now has no no real bike facility. There's sharrows painted mm-hmm. on the road that says a, cars are going to be here, a bike may be here, everyone share the road. That can be disconcerting to the person on a bike to have a lot of traffic right up behind For you, sure. in front of you. It's a tough spot. I tend it's It creates a red zone in my mental map, and I avoid that area when I'm on a bike. Same with Orange Street by the food farm. It's embarrassing. It's really close to free cycles and a very dangerous stretch. You don't want to be biking first to six on Orange. Bike lanes. We have probably 80% of our arterials with painted bike lanes. The first ones came in in 1997. Some parking was removed right outside this building here on Arthur Avenue. And parking was changed to a bike lane. Four-inch stripe separates the person on a bike from two to four tons of steel. Protected bike lane. We have one in Missoula to speak of, and that's North Higgins by Break Espresso, Wardens. It, it works okay. you got to be careful at the intersections because right. you Those pop back tricky. out. And that was not designed correctly. Uh, one of the first protected bike lanes, a.k.a. cycle tracks, in the United States was North Higgins around 2011. Okay. So everyone's learning from that one. They need to be a little wider, more visible, and they shouldn't pop towards main traffic. Northern Europe has upwards of 50% of commuting done by bike in the cities, towns, and villages that have extensive cycling infrastructure. There's other techniques like urban trails. We all love the River Trail, uh, Greeno Park, the Bitterroot Spur. So wherever we can get trails put in, great. And neighborhood greenways. It's sort of a newer concept, but that's gaining steam, and you can take old neighborhood streets and do a few things with flower pots and make them more appealing for walking and biking and discourage cut through car traffic. So just, just, uh, getting, um, these ideas and, uh, definitions on the table Mm -hmm. helps people think and, and conceptualize what could we be in Missoula. So I, I like everything that, that Gene said. Um, I have thought a lot about how infrastructure tends to be expensive 
but we have some traffic circles, some neighborhood circles that are made from homemade flower pots right now. Yeah, just right down here on there, Maurice. There are a dozen of them. It doesn't have to be that expensive. We could be creative. and Missoula is full of creative people. So I'm excited. <laughs> You'll hear me say this a lot. I'm excited for the future, but we all need to help guide it and um, keep talking about it. There's, uh, there's another one where they're along with down here on Maurice. Um, they're doing right now a similar thing on uh, just west of Johnson. Uh, street, which has got a lot of use. It's a collector street. It's signalized in a couple spots. And it goes past the school. And uh, they're doing the same thing with the, um, we'll call them the El Cheapo traffic circles, where you just put a couple large flower pots and directional arrows, and you, you get yourself a little um, uh, traffic circle. And so that does, I think, a, a great job. And one of the things that, that Bob brought up to me, and I think it's really makes sense, and it's also very in some ways European, although people around here don't like to hear that word, is that if you're in a neighborhood, that your neighborhood is a place that you you go into and you go out of to get to work, to school, to whatever. Uh, maybe not to a park, because your park should be in the neighborhood. But you don't go through a neighborhood. You know, your your neighborhood is sort of separated by these higher-volume streets. So a higher-volume street... It doesn't have to be four lanes, but sometimes it is, and that separates one neighborhood from another. So the idea of going through a neighborhood is kind of antithetical to what being a neighborhood is. You you come home, and then you leave your home to go someplace else. But the idea of your neighborhood being a place where you can kind of zip through on your car is um, not not the best way. So if we can do some of these things where we sort of say, you know, almost... Form. I don't know what you would call it, Bob. There's these things where you you showed me in the at the Grizzly where you sort of make almost like a little cul-de-sac out of some of these streets that used to be through streets. Yeah, uh, bollards or yeah, there's some um, or of the flower the slants, planters. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty easy. I mean, anyone listening to this could put an end to speeding, cut through car traffic in the next seven minutes if they. Go get some trash cans, sure. some flower pots. Just vigilante solution there? Yeah. Well, I, well, I wouldn't call it vigilante. I would call it um, sane beautification of our p- shared public space. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I would like to see more of that. And the city's open to this. Um, I got slapped on the wrist for painting sharrows on the hip strip about 10, 15 years ago, but before sharrows were even an approved national marking. But we had several people hit by car and it didn't seem right that we weren't acting as a community so a few of us painted our own sharrows in beautiful fall colors and um we were told that that, you know it's a breaking ordinance and uh we actually paid some restitution to have them covered up only a year later the city put down their own official share but their own yeah yeah so we really should have sent an invoice to the city but (laughs) but we're a team player here We, we are strong advocates but you know i know a lot of the city planners are they're they're great people but you got to push them sometimes. So we focused a lot of this conversation on municipal infrastructure, but it also occurs to me that, you know, people on bikes are going to places. Often it's places where people gather, like it could be a community center of the YMCA, um, their employer, for example. So how do, what role do these, in terms of built, the built environment, what role do employers and other organizations play in making cycling easier. 
Well, one of the things that is done uh, by Ben Weiss, who's the uh, program manager for bicycle pedestrian uh, activities, uh, and um, they they do a lot of work getting uh, bicycle uh, parking put in, bike, mm-hmm. bike racks and stuff around some of these businesses. will put them in for them. They don't require them, I don't think. Uh, and then the other thing uh, Missoula in Motion does is they try to offer incentives to businesses to make their businesses more bike-friendly by... Um, having indoor storage for the bikes because theft is an issue, obviously, you know, with bike racks and a pretty hefty lock. So, you know, they, we, the Missoula in Motion tries to do what they can to offer support and get businesses to, uh, you know, get the parking available that's really uh, secure. Some places, I don't know how many in town right now, but there's a few places that will actually have <laughs> showers in place for sure. people if they come in sweaty that they can bring a change of clothes. So. You know, there's that as well. Yeah, and I'm thinking about like, you know, there's there's this kind of challenge in delivery right now called the last mile problem. Like it's easy mm-hmm. to get, it's easier to get something from, you know, the port in Seattle to the outskirts of Missoula than it is to get it, you know, if it's a bike part from the truck to, to free cycles, for example. Does the same problem exist with riding to work, you know, Parking your bike is one thing, but safely getting from the bike lane to the office door seems like a challenge, too, that our system maybe isn't designed to to solve for. I'm going to say that that's that's not it's not quite the challenge. Okay, Um, Mm. you know, it's more like the last millimeter, the last inch than the last mile. And that uh, if we can solve change our public shared infrastructure that we all pay for and utilize that the, the last inch or millimeter becomes um, obsolete. You've arrived. The public space can take you up to the private space. I do agree. You want to have good, secure place to lock your bike. Um, you don't want to have a giant curb that you have to maybe lift your three-wheeler up and over. Mm-hmm. Even Again, that that is tends to be a public piece of infrastructure. So I I think we solve the public and then the private falls in line. But the private can drive the public too. Uh, uh, We're seeing at FreeCycles a lot of interest in different types of bike programs, walking programs, transit programs. We're working with uh, an agency right now, Winds of Change. I helped them write a grant. Got a grant to supply 15 bikes to their clients who are in transition back into community and these are going to be shared bikes. I helped them write the grant for 15 bikes, $400 a bike. We'll see if they're going to be new or refurbished. And a shelter, so and a pump, and a box of tools, and training. So that's exciting to me. I, I hope it's a national model. I hope every youth home, every transitional home, every group home can take biking seriously and build shelters, have shared cycles, and go on group rides so as we kind of um you know approach the end of our time together fellas uh i'd love you to sort of look forward you know gene what do you what are priorities for the uh advisory board what are the things you want to see happen victories you'd like to achieve in the next few years here in this community well um obviously the board uh, their main purpose our main purpose is to see that that People who choose to walk and bike 
uh, for transportation or recreation for that matter, uh, have uh, safe and inviting places to do that. Uh, so that kind of underlays everything else uh, that we do. Right now, I think some of the bigger things that we that are coming to fruition uh, have been the uh, neighborhood greenways. Uh, I think in the uh, future, the some of the expansion of the uh, shared use paths. To, I think right now they're around eight or nine feet, and to try to get them widened to maybe about twelve or fourteen, uh, just so that there's less conflicts. Because right now you've got two people riding side by side, and somebody else comes riding side by side, or a group of people walking, and you have to single up, and you know. And which, in some ways, is sort of traffic calming on the bike path. Uh, but I think most people in the community support that. There's been a few conflicts between pedestrians and, and bikes on the, on the shared use paths. And uh, again, we try to do, we're trying to get a little bit of education out there about you know pedestrians kind of you know not letting their dogs on those expandable leashes just right. kind of wander across your way or to have their dogs off leash or. Uh, and the same thing for the people who are biking, you know, that they're not doing the Tour de France there. They're, they need to be coming down to a reasonable speed when they go past uh, a person or a group of people walking and you know, ring their bell or give an announcement on passing on your left or something to that effect. So there's, you know, the educational aspect of that. And then there's, again, a little bit of the infrastructure. With the advent of more and more e-bikes, like I was saying, I think we're going to see even more uh, commuting coming from farther out, somebody who might think three or four times about commuting by bike, you know, 18 miles will say, oh, well, gee, e-bike, that's not a problem. I can, I can cover that. The weather's nice. I can, I can come in from, um, Florence, you know, to Missoula, not, not a real problem on a bike where right now, nobody would really think much about that unless they have a, a lot of time on their hands and mm-hmm. thighs like trees, you know, <laughs> So I think we need to, you know, again, prepare ourselves for that uh, additional influx of the, and, and get the infrastructure and the, and the bicyclists' uh, savviness, if you will, uh, brought up to higher and higher levels as we go along. Bob, how about you? What looks what what does success look like for you? Well, I think we're meeting it every day in this community on on various levels. There there are some possibly larger stepping stones that I can see that would be, uh, I think, fantastic. And I'll, I'll just use the word health again, health, healthy community. Passenger rail through, through Western Montana, uh, the few times I'm on highways or interstates in a fast piece of steel, um, I, can, I can vividly remember not, almost not making it through that journey. Uh, we had a car come at our family um, head on, and at the last second there was a swerve maneuver, and I'm still lucky to be alive. Um, passenger rail can be a, a sane, healthy way to move about longer distances. A bike path from here to Glacier, I'll just say it again. I, I mentioned that earlier. I think that would be incredible. Uh, roundabouts instead of stoplights. One-lane roundabouts, not multi-lane. The, the research is fairly clear. About a 99 to nearly 100% reduction in, in injuries, roundabouts compared to stoplights. Eyes are down low. Everything's a right turn, and the speed low these are not east coast rotaries you have to build the roundabout just right and it's not a neighborhood circle do a whole podcast on just roundabouts sure and the hit the hip strip and the higgins bridge 
something like that. Okay. I've been practicing. Well done. Um, Blackfeet, Bear Tracks Bridge. Process for redesigning the hip strip is starting very soon. It's a four-lane, undivided, dangerous stretch of street. It deserves to be better for walking, biking, driving, and transit. I want to encourage everyone to be involved in this process. It'll be a public process. And one lane in each direction for cars will be just fine with a center turn lane. Let's get some protected bike lanes or cycle tracks, calm the traffic. Even this four-lane Bear Tracks Bridge does not need to be four lanes in this scenario. It could be one lane for cars in each direction, Mm -hmm. and that affords a very wide, nice, first-class protected bikeway. And what is now the combined bike pedway can be just for pedestrians. You mentioned car-bike conflict earlier. I'm actually just as concerned, if not more so, about bike-pedestrian conflict. Walking, arguably, is the most sustainable way to move about, and I think we need to double down on protecting everyone that walks, whether it's mobility-challenged, wheelchairs, canes, children, uh, on and on and on, that 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 is who we design first and foremost for, and bikes are maybe close behind. But there, there's some stepping stones and victories that I can see in Missoula, and I'll, I'll say it again. Everyone should be involved and get their voice in there, and uh, no idea should be discarded. Even a, a pedestrian zone downtown, let's, let's dream big. It's, it's our future. So, Gene, how can listeners interface with uh, the advisory board and, and get more involved in these issues? We do. Um, we've been doing our meetings on Zoom, and I think we're going to be getting back in July to our regular in-person meetings. We've had some people um, come in to the Zoom meetings and uh, from the public and give comments, and we we welcome those. But if anybody has an issue now, if it's a if it's a, like a regular safety issue of, uh, that they uh, they might want to go to the police department as well in terms of saying you know hey there's people going way too fast on my residential street or whatever. Um, that's not really something the board will take care of. But if they see something where uh, there's, you know, maybe an intersection treatment or something or um, a place where they think something could be made better for bicycling, bicycling they can uh, they can contact the board. And um, one of the things that Bob mentioned a while ago um during this conversation was the idea of public spaces, uh, public spaces being for the public, uh, not just the, and unfortunately it's kind of morphed into, and this is, I guess, part of good old capitalism, that the idea of streets uh, being for cars and not for people, and the idea of uh, sort of radical right now being that, you know, we really need to go back to considering that, and not, not necessarily that people just kind of meander across the street anywhere they want to, in some places, we can have that, where they have that in Europe, where they have streets that are set up to like, well, you can have your car here, but you're sort of treated like a guest, and it's really more of a mall, but if you need to get through, you're going to go through it at 10 miles an hour, and it's one way, and this type of thing, and trucks can come in for deliveries and such. But the idea that there's this respect and this consideration that you know is, is much more generalized. Super. Bob, how about you? How, how, how can people find uh, free cycles and mist, and how, where would you point them? Uh, the easiest way is to come visit us, and 
Uh, historically, we've been open Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 6. We cut one of those days off um, just to streamline our approach. So this summer, Free Cycles is open Wednesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. We have a check-in gate uh, right at the front of the shop, and we have zones of engagement, whether it's the youth bike barn or the bicycle forest out back or the open shop for fixing your own bike with our assistance. Uh, just, I, I like in person. Sure. I do use email. I do use a cell phone when I need to. So uh, those are acceptable ways. And freecycles.org is a good way to, to find me, especially if they can come down to the shop and we can fix a broken derailleur or replace a chain or a seat. We can have a conversation. Awesome. Well, fellas, thanks for coming by and sharing so much of your, your wisdom and experience. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate learning more about you. Appreciate it, Justin. Well, thanks, thanks. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift of UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business, with additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors and Drum Coffee. AJ Williams is our producer. VTO Jeff Ament and John Wicks made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about it. Thanks a lot. See you next time.